Well, friends, good morning. Good morning and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. My name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here. On behalf of all of us, we're so glad that you could be with us today. Whether you are joining us in person and you're new, or whether you're online, whether you're here for the first time, or whether you're here every week, uh, however you have come to join us today, we don't think it's a mistake. Right? When we gather, we do so remembering that it's God who brings us together. Sometimes God does that in strange and unlikely ways. Sometimes God does that seemingly in very ordinary ways. But however it is that you've gotten here today, we don't think it's a mistake. And so we're glad to be together in the presence of God. As we are getting starting this morning, I'm going to try to get this situated here for a second. It's okay to see a beard, but you don't want to hear it, right? <laughs> Nobody wants that. Okay, let's try that for now. Um, this morning, I want to welcome another guest as well. Baird Lashley is here. He's going to be helping leading us worship today. Welcome, Baird. It's good to have you back. Uh, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Um, it may be that in the sanctuary this morning, you are smelling bacon, uh, wafting up from beneath your feet, and uh, that is a, a reminder that high school youth group has started, and more broadly, it is a reminder that we have started new ministries again this fall here at Pleasant Street. And so even as that is beginning, there's another one that starts today that I just want to highlight for you. We've been communicating it digitally and online, but we're going to start an opportunity to do what we're calling some gospel formation after the service today. And so when church ends, we're going to gather for coffee and for fellowship. And then at about 11 o'clock, uh, the adults, the high schoolers, the middle schoolers, anyone who is able, we're going to join in the fellowship hall to sit and talk about uh, today's sermon for a while together. And meanwhile, our Kid Street age group kids and our Echo age group kids will have a chance to go back downstairs to do some uh, scripture memory and some learning of, of doctrines, right? In some traditions, you call this Sunday school. For those others of us, we know it is catechism, right? Whatever name you know it by, the goal is for us to not just hear and worship together, but then also to gather in small groups and try to take these things and, and plant them deep within our lives together. This is an experiment. So we'll be trying a couple of different things to do this this fall as ways for us to find ways to connect to each other and talk about what God is doing in our lives. Does that make sense? Okay, so that'll happen after worship. Grab your coffee, we'll gather in the fellowship hall, and then at 11.30 when that ends, please do continue to stay in fellowship. All right, I think that's it for now. So friends, would you please rise in body or in spirit at home or online? Let's worship together. Good morning, church. Let's, let's read these words together. Loving God, we have gathered to meet you. We've come to listen to you, to seek you. To worship you. You are the beginning of all things, the life of all things. You knew us before we were born. In you we become, in you we live. Loving God, you are here and everywhere around us and with us. You know our inmost thoughts. In you we hope. In you we live. You are the source of In you we are still. In you we 
live. Loving God, you live in us. We worship you. And together we say, Amen. Oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds I have to make, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thank you. 
It's good to gather and remind each other of the goodness of God, that he's faithful, that he's sovereign, and that he's with us. Amen. In some weeks, um, as a community, we need to remind our, each other of those things even more than others. Um, this next song, um, we introduced to the teens at the serve this summer, and uh, it was felt like it would be a good day to reintroduce that to all of you. So um, it's called Anchor, and uh, I hope these words lift your hearts towards Christ this morning. So 
We are beginning a series through the book of Jonah together. We'll be there for the next uh, couple of Sundays. And as we began that last week on the screen, it's uh, good to be back with you in person uh, to continue that together. One of the things that Jonah suggests to us and the reason that we are going to it now um, is that we are not the hero of the story, right? And if you think about it, um, the world has changed a lot in the last 18, 19 months, and it continues to change, and our own little world has changed a lot too. And if you think about what do we do with that kind of thing, um, we look for ways to make sense of that. And I think if we look at a lot of the stories in the world around us, there's some version of you just, you got to dig deeper and you got to figure it out and you got to make it work, right? Which actually um, is quite heavy. So when we come into the presence of God, we are confronted by a very different story that at first seems strange, but actually can be quite empowering, we're confronted by the story of um, Jonah, who is a servant of God, who in some ways represents the best of what we have to offer, and is faced with something he cannot do. And so he runs away. And in that, what opens to us is the realization that in so many different ways, we just don't know what the right thing to do is next. Or even if we do, we find we don't have the strength for it. And so it is strange, I'll grant you that, but when we come into the presence of God, we are given space to acknowledge this, to confess our sins, to admit together that we don't have what it takes, and that is only good news because God has come and offered us forgiveness. God has shown us over and over again that he's the one who comes to find the lost, 
and to set them on a straight path again. And so friends, in that great big hope, would you join me in this prayer of confession? O God, O Lord, great God, all holy Father most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love, together we are embarrassed to come before you, for we have preferred the ways of this world to your ways, for we have rebelled against your wisdom and we have gotten into trouble, for we have rejected your fatherly guidance and have gotten lost altogether. To you belongs righteousness, O Lord, and to us confusion of face. O Lord, great God, all holy, filled with awe, Father most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love, incline your ear to our troubles. Hear us when we pour out our sorrows before you. Forgive us, not on the ground of our own righteousness, but on the ground of your great mercy. On the ground of your great mercy in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, it is in his name that we pray, for he is our Savior and the mediator of the covenant of grace. Amen. In the presence of God, let's take a few minutes to make those words our own. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would hear these prayers that we offer to you in silence as well as those we voice together, and that you would forgive us through Jesus. Amen. Friends, the good news is that no matter where we go in this world, as lost as we might be, it is God who can find us. And this morning, wherever you are this morning, it is God who has found you with good news here. Hear these words from Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who redeems Israel from all her iniquities. Friends, know that in Jesus, God embraces you, forgives you, and strengthens you to live a renewed life. Thanks be to God. Friends, would you rise in body or in spirit, and let's sing together. Before the throne of God above. Have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart, I know that while Tongue can bid me dance, 
Christ be with you. You know what to do.
Can I have all the kids from Kid Street come up here? <laughs> Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. The Lord be with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning again. Good to see all of you. Um, this morning, um, as we continue our worship, I have the great pleasure to lead us in a time of congregational prayer. Um, and when we do this, sometimes we'll announce things for the life of our community that have happened as of late. Uh, we've alluded to a couple of those things, but we want to make sure that everybody is aware of the things that are going on when we, when we lift these prayers. And so it's been a hard week for us at our church, and I'll, I'll mention that in a second. But, but as we're going into a, a time of prayer, there are things that we know publicly together, but there's also the things that each of us carries with us into church. And so when we pray... It's going to be our prayer, and the way that we're going to do that is that I am going to voice some words for us, but I'm also going to give us some space so that in the silence, you, you can offer up to God also those things which are on your hearts as well. They may be echoes of the things that I've already said. They may be things that nobody else knows except for you. Remember that you don't have to say a lot. It is enough simply to name names or to specify one thing because God already knows. We don't come to him to tell him things that are news to him, but we come because that's what you do when you love and trust your father. So one of the things that I want to highlight for us is that this week, uh, Annika and Mike welcomed Grace Kathy into their lives, but in a way that none of us would have ever imagined or expected. The other thing is that I received word recently that both Karen and Steve S. discovered within the last week that Karen is facing a very serious diagnosis of lung cancer. And she will begin a very intensive round of treatments and therapies on Monday. Finally, uh, Zach uh, had a close call with a power tool at work this week. He's home. Uh, we're glad to hear that. And we, of course, will pray for him and his family. Friends, would you pray with me? Almighty God, in Jesus, you taught us to pray and to offer our petitions to you in his name. Guide us by your Holy Spirit that our prayers might capture some of your heart for this world and show your steadfast love through Jesus our Lord. This morning, God, we are asking that you would hear us, O God, that you would heal us, O God, and that you would help us, O Lord. We lift up to you now this world that you have made, and we ask that you would hear us as we offer prayers to you.
Creator God, you made all things in your wisdom, and you do not abandon what you have made. You do not abandon us. We pray for this whole creation. Your hands have fashioned whole worlds of wonder that we see around us. We see it in the bright light of summer, growing gardens, blooming flowers, and birdsong. And we begin to see it now in the subtle turn toward fall, the mystery of a blanket of morning fog, the fire of trees changing color and crisp, cool air. Hear us, O God, as we voice our thanks for all that is right and good and well-ordered in the world. And hear us, O God, too, as we lift up to you all that seems wrong, bad, out of joint, and stinking of suffering. Hear us, O God, as we ask you to overthrow evil's power wherever it is found, to right all that is wrong, to satisfy those who thirst for justice, so that all might live at peace in the world and joyfully sing your praises through Jesus, who is the one in whom all things hold together. And speaking of peace, we are mindful of so much strife in the world, and so we ask, O oh God, that you would heal us as we pray for peace. reconciling God. You sent Jesus on a mission to break down walls of hostility that divide us. Send peace on the earth and put down greed and pride and anger which turn nation against nation, peoples against other peoples, and each of us against the other. Oh God, we cannot love you unless we are loving our neighbors, and we cannot love our neighbors unless we are loving you. The two go together. And so would you come and would you heal us in your love? Come and dissolve our hatred, illumine our misunderstandings, unlock our fearful hearts, melt our chilly resentments, that we and also the whole world might live in peace. Heal us, O oh God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And because there are other kinds of healing that we need, we also lift up to you, O oh God, those who sorrow and who are sick. We ask that you would help us, O oh God, as we pray for the sick and the sorrowing. Merciful God, you bear the pain of the world and you comfort those who sorrow. Look with compassion on those who are sick, who are receiving treatment, who are recovering from surgery. We think of Henny, Jen, Carol, Zach, 
Karen and Steve. We think of their families as they walk with and care for these loved ones. As we think and name these people to you, we ask that you would help us, O God. And we ask, too, that you would be with those who sorrow, who have lost loved ones, those who sorrow and knew it was coming, and those who did not. Lord Jesus, Lamb of God, we are thinking of little Grace and her parents and her big sister. You welcomed children in your arms, and we grieve today because that is what we wanted to do too. We were ready and so happy to welcome Grace, and now we are numb with pain and sorrow. And so we ask, O oh God, that you would embrace us in the sure hope that Grace is safely in your arms, as are the other little ones whom we think of, whose names we remember, and whom we also never got to hold. Help us, O God, that we might know that neither death nor life can separate us from your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Mighty God, hear our prayers. Heal what is broken and wounded and sore and raw and help us. We trust that you are and that you will. And so it is in your promises and your work and by your spirit, we pray in Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Over here now. Friends, I mentioned we are beginning a series, a look at the book of Jonah together. Today, I also have the privilege to read the scripture to us. Um, so we, let's look together at Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Well, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Well, the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, Tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? 
Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? We have come, O God, this morning to this very old story, hoping to find fresh good news. In times of crisis in the past, O God, you spoke through your prophets to reveal things that they could not find on their own. In our own time of crisis, O God, we ask that you would come and speak to us through Jonah. We pray this in your name. Amen. When President John F. Kennedy moved into the Oval Office, America was in a time of increasing turmoil. Some of you may remember it. Things were getting more complicated in Vietnam. Russia was spreading communism abroad. There was a race on to get to outer space and a wall through the middle of Berlin. The civil rights movement was growing as was an awareness of our racism. So too was America's stockpile of nuclear weapons. You can imagine all of the things that must have come across the president's desk in those days. The papers and the policies piling up and the phone calls received. But there was something else on the desk where the fears and the conflicts swirl and swell during Kennedy's era. On the desk, Kennedy had a plaque, maybe seven inches long, a bronze plate on a mahogany block. The plaque it said, was a gift from an admiral, a sailor, 
who knows something about charting a course through tumultuous events. And on the plaque sitting on the desk in the time of crisis is, of all things, a poem by Winifred Ernst Garrison. And it says, O God, thy sea is so great, and my boat is so small. You know, the president's desk gets photographed a lot. He could have put that plaque anywhere. But Kennedy chose to put the plaque on the desk facing himself. It was a reminder that he, too, is but a man on a storm-tossed sea. Which captures where Jonah finds himself this morning. And to be honest, maybe where we are, too. You've heard some of the stories, and we've shared some of them in prayer and amongst each other. You may be feeling storm-tossed in your own life. And in that way, Jonah's story resonates with us this morning. But it is also for that reason that Jonah's story presents a challenge that requires us to be careful. Because Jonah's storm comes into his life as a result of running from God. We said last week that Jonah is a prophet. Prophets are given words from God and special tasks by God. God asked Jonah to take a message of judgment to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians are violent. They are brutal. They are Israel's arch nemesis. And God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to warn them about their violence and their injustice and their slavery and their warmongering. I want you to tell them that I know. I want you to go to your enemies and offer them the possibility of making a change. I think that for many of us, when we think about the voice of God coming into our lives, we imagine God kind of inviting us into something if we want to. Like, if you want to, you could follow me. Like, if you have time, or if you could squeeze it into your schedule, maybe you could do some Jesus following on the weekends, you know? But that is not the word that Jonah hears. Jonah's problem is not that he isn't sure what God wants from him. Jonah's problem is that he is. God comes into Jonah's life with a command, and it does not make any sense. The call would ask Jonah to relate to his enemies in an entirely new way. Not from a place of self-righteous indignation or moral superiority, but from a place of open-hearted desire to see them change. And it would ask Jonah to relate to God in a new way too, as someone who has discovered that God's mercy really is as wide as the ocean. But this word instead makes Jonah want to flee to the ocean. Which is so ironic. If you look at the story, Jonah is trying to run from the God of the sea by going upon the sea. What is that about? 
I mean, surely Jonah knows that Yahweh is the God of land and sea. In fact, he says so right there in verse 9, but he runs anyway. Actually, the words tell us that he isn't running from God. He is more specifically fleeing the presence of God. He is trying to get away from the temple and from any and every reminder he can of who God is. Jonah is trying to get away from church and from anything that has to do with church because church is where we remember who God is. And Jonah wants to forget. In his commentary on Jonah, Jack Sasson points out that the words suggest to us that Jonah isn't just boarding the ship, he's actually joining the crew. Jonah's doing everything that he can to forget about God, and I wonder if as he steps aboard the ship, Jonah doesn't think to himself that maybe, just maybe he's gotten away with it. Like, maybe God will just let him go. Maybe God will let him forget. Jonah knows that we cannot escape God, but Jonah seems to want to get to a place where there are few reminders of him. Jonah thinks that his life will be better off without God in it, which we understand because sometimes we think the same. After all, the people who know God best also seem to suffer a lot, don't they? Abraham knew God close enough to be called a friend. Abraham also wandered, was homeless, and was buried without a home. One time, God tested him by asking him to take his only son up a mountain. And then there was Moses. Moses saw God face to face, or, or rather, back to face. He also died just short of a home to call his own. Abraham and Moses, they talked with God, but they also had a hard go of it because of that friendship, too. St. Teresa of Avila, the 16th century Christian, Christian monastic and mystic, she, too, is remembered as someone who knew God well. Her writings on prayer continue this day to change people's lives. And yet there's this story of Teresa in the last year of her life. She is in the process of begging to raise funds for an orphanage. She's begging in the streets. She's also trying to plant more communities of nuns. And the story goes that repeatedly fire and flood and storm destroy the orphanage. And one day she is traveling to raise funds and they come to a swollen river. They have no choice but to try to ford it on foot. And yet the current is so strong that she loses her footing and she almost drowns, overwhelmed by the obstacles that God seems to keep placing in her path. She reportedly cries out to God then and there, so this is how you treat your friends. No wonder you have so few. We know that there is nowhere you can go to escape God's presence. But we also know that God's voice asks too much of us. We have many strategies to try to help us to avoid the power and presence of God's call upon our lives. Sometimes we try to tame God 
We make God into someone who only asks us to do things that we already know how to do. We say to ourselves that God wants us to serve where our gifts are, which is great, and we should bless that and amen. But what we really mean is that God will never ask me to do things that I don't know how to do or don't understand. Right. Because serving the poor and making peace between other people's conflict comes so naturally to some of us, doesn't it? Because turning the other cheek to someone whom you love or telling someone the truth whom you are afraid of or sharing what you have with a stranger who doesn't deserve it, those things only apply to people who are somehow naturally giving. No. We know that when Jesus says, forgive your enemies and pray for those who actively work against you, he's not suggesting it. And we cannot in good faith manage the voice of God. And so with nothing else to do, we simply try to forget. We lose ourselves in a show or a relationship. We live in denial and we pretend that everything is fine. Or we jump into despair and say there's no such thing as a happy ending anyway. Either way, what we are doing is trying to forget the reality of this God to put some distance between us. And once you have boarded that ship, we might look longingly back over our shoulder, but we think there's no turning back now. Of course, the very next thing that happens in Jonah's life is that God hurls a storm into it. And the sea that he thought would be his refuge from God becomes ground zero of God's overwhelming presence. Jonah wants to forget, but God will not let him forget. And so God sends a storm into Jonah's life, and the words in the text go out of their way to tell us that God is the one who hurls this storm at this boat. God sends the wind to stir up the waters into such a foaming rage that the ship itself thinks, I am going to break apart. The sailors cry out in desperation to their gods. They begin to throw anything not tied down out of the ship in a desperate attempt to keep it afloat. All hands are on deck, furling sails, anchoring ropes around cleats. But Jonah is, where is Jonah? He is in one last desperate attempt to forget. He has gone below and he is asleep. And so God sends the captain to wake him. And the captain says, arise and call out. And Jonah wakes up to the exact same words that he heard from God in Israel. Arise and go to Nineveh. And again, when the sailors roll the dice to find out whose fault the storm is, the lot points to Jonah, and Jonah knows it is the Lord pointing the finger to him. And when the sailors pepper Jonah with questions that beat like the wind, what God do you work for? Where do you come from? Who are your people? Jonah knows it is the Lord goading him to admit the truth that he has been running from. Jonah admits 
what he can no longer deny. I belong to Yahweh, who is the highest and only God there is, who made the land and the sea. Friends, Jonah wants to forget God, but God will not let him forget. God pursues Jonah with a storm, and when that isn't enough, God puts his words in a pagan captain's mouth. And when that isn't enough, God reveals Jonah's guilt using a roll of the dice. And when that isn't enough, he sends the sailors who question him. And then with a great fish, God swallows him up whole, not to kill him, but to save his life. God does not try to keep Jonah in Israel, and I think that's interesting. God allows Jonah to run, and Jonah gets pretty far. He is all the way to the sea and on the sea, and surely a place where he thinks he is free of the overwhelming presence of God in his life. But it is there, in this place that seems free of God, where Jonah meets God more powerfully than he's ever known him before. Jonah meets God on the road to avoid him. God sends the storm, and it's terrifying for both Jonah and all involved, but the storm is somehow also full of God's mercy. Friends, Jonah runs, and it brings a storm into his life. Some of us know what it is to pay the fare for a similar path. For whatever reasons, we've decided that it would be easier to forget God than to deal with this wild, unmanageable presence. Others of us find ourselves on a road that feels devoid of God, even though we didn't choose it. But friends, whether we are actively running from God's presence or just happen to find ourselves in a place where we can never imagine him visiting, Jonah suggests to us that in our storms, we too just might meet God in the place we thought we would never find him. Friends, this is not looking for a silver lining. This is not being positive in the face of tragedy. This is not a stiff upper lip or just grin and bear it. Jonah is not trying to turn us into Stoics or Englishmen. Or motivational speakers. No, Jonah proclaims to us that this God is the God of sea and land. This is the God who calls and who pursues. This is the God who seeks all that is lost and goes even to his enemies. This God works in and through chaos, storms, and even our own disobedience. Not every storm that we face is the result of something we have done wrong. Just ask Job. He'll tell you about how sometimes we face tragedy and it's not our fault. Not every storm is sent by God into our lives, but what Jonah shows us is that each storm we face has everything to do with God. And no matter what the reason is that you find yourself tossed in the sea today, the good news is that somewhere beneath the raging waters, there is mercy swimming. And at just the moment when you think you have lost it all, when you are convinced that you have ruined everything good in your life, when you are sure that you will drown in a sea of your own making, 
or a sea of bad news or sorrow itself just then. That is the moment when mercy opens its mouth wide and swallows us whole. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? O Lord, your sea is so great, and our boat is so small. We ask, O God, that in the middle of our storms and our confusion and our questions, that you would find us in mercy, that you would do what we cannot, that you would save us. Amen. I want to invite the worship team up again. I'd like to teach you a new song today. It's called, Thy Will Be Done. And Baird and the team are going to lead us as we sing it together. Would you please rise and body and spirit? Let's sing. So this song is really set up. Um, like a call and response. So I'd like to teach you the response so that if the tune of the call doesn't come to you quickly, we can all at least join in in the response. And I know this church is good at calls and responses. Um. The response is, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Can you try that with me? Thy will be done. Thy will be done. My God. If but my fainting heart be blessed. 
we continue to ponder together this amazing story. We'll have a chance to do that as a congregation after we conclude worship and after a time of fellowship. But our third through fifth graders have a chance to do that now uh, through our ECHO program. And so if you are of that age, third through fifth grade, um, this is a chance for you to come forward and we have a blessing for you. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard, plant it deep in our hearts, and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. When we gather for worship, God speaks, we respond. As Baird says, our worship is a call and a response, not just with words and songs, but also with actions. Having seen God's gift in Jesus to us, we are moved to respond self-sacrificially in kind. And one of the ways that we can do that tangibly is by giving some of the money that God has given to us for the offerings and the work of our church and other ministries. We cannot pass plates right now because of COVID, but there are many ways we can give, both online, by dropping off checks at the church during the week, or by placing your envelopes in the box in the uh, entrance to the sanctuary. So we do that together now. Friends, let's, uh, let's continue singing together, Build My Life.
easy to see or impossible to imagine God had brought us together to worship him. That's true for those of us who are in the room and those of us who are online. And the good news about that is that this God who can bring us here through all kinds of circumstances is the same God who promises to go with you into this week no matter what you find. So friends, would you lift up your eyes, open your hands, and receive God's parting blessing for you. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen.